Hi, welcome to Rodeo Boulevard. I'm Jen. And I'm Josh. This is the place where we discuss everything beyond the white lines and rodeo signs of the rodeo industry. Enjoy! Okay, we're here today with Rick Griffin, the Seattle Mariners head trainer, who has been very um, involved in the Montana Circuit Finals and rodeo in general. How are you, Rick? I'm good. Good. Doing really well. Thanks for taking the time today. I know you're busy. You were just in London and then back in Seattle and all over the place, and now you're headed back flying again today, aren't you? Yeah, I'm walking through the airport getting ready to catch a flight to Dallas, so. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Um, well, we appreciate your time today and, and taking a few minutes to just visit with us about your career with baseball and then involved with rodeo, um, kind of as a gift to us rodeo athletes and uh, the connection between the two and and uh, and everything. So I'll pass it over to Jen. She's going to visit with you a little bit about your past, and then, and then we'll uh, head into the rodeo scene and see how it all connects to you. Okay. Well, Rick, I have to do my homework before these podcasts, and so I had the pleasure of reading some of your information online, and I understand that you spent, have spent 35 years as the trainer for the Mariners. That's quite a career. Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually 37, so you read something old. <laughs> I did read something old. You're right. Good catch, good catch. 37 years of working with uh, baseball athletes, and keeping them, or, or the goal to keep them sound and healthy and competing at the top of their game. Uh, that's quite a dedication to the sport. Yeah, it's it's been a really great career. and it, it, I mean, that sounds like a big number when you hear it, but it, it doesn't seem that big to me because it's gone so fast, and I enjoy it so much. Um, I, have, I have three daughters, and one of my daughters said that I'm stupid for having the same job for so long. And I said, well, I don't think I'm stupid because I love my job and I enjoy going to work every day. So it's always a pleasure for me. And and uh, I went back out and said, you've had six jobs and, and you're only 28 years old. So I think I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'd say you're doing okay. And I would say also that that means that it shows the value that the Mariners um, organization has in, in your ability to keep their athletes competing at the top of their game. Can you tell me, uh, how, what does a day look like you with – you know, I know that you're not quite as involved now, but on a typical day during the season, what's your day look like with those athletes? Um, the, our days are pretty long. Uh, I tell all my friends that I work half days. And what I mean by that is we work 12-hour shifts. So to, to do what I do and, and be an athletic trainer in professional baseball, the one thing you can't do is you can't look at the clock because the days are really long. You don't get a lot of days off. Um one year I went from February 5th to the end of October and had zero days off. Zero, not weekends, Sundays, zero days off. Usually only get two or three days off that same time period. A typical day for me during the season is I get to the ballpark about 12 o'clock. Uh, the players start coming in around 1. We do treatments on them till about 3 o'clock. Uh, then they go outside and we do outside work, do training, take batting practice, um, they come back in about 5.30, then they come in and they get prep work before the game. The game starts at 7, and the game gets over around 10, 10, 15, and then they're there till about 11.30 or 12, getting treatments and lifting weights, and then start over the next day. So that's that's a pretty typical day. The It changes in spring training a little bit. We're in spring training for about seven weeks down in Arizona. And it's basically the same schedule, but it starts at 5 in the morning instead of 1 in the afternoon. So same thing, 5 in the morning till about 5 or 6 at night. 
Boy, there's a lot of a lot of things, a lot of questions, a lot of avenues we could take with what you just said. But let's start off on the importance that you see um, of of training and physical fitness to avoid injury. Um, what kind of importance does that play in their success and their soundness? Well, that's that's our job. Our job is to prevent injuries, and our job is to keep them on the field. And so because we only have about 25 to 30 guys that we're working with on a year-round basis, we get to know them very well. We know all their idiosyncrasies. We know what, what's good for them, what's bad, and we can read their body language real well. So we can go to the management and say, hey, this guy might need a day off. He's struggling or he's tired. Um, so that plays an important role. But the, the conditioning aspect, working with the strength conditioning coaches, and we have to work together. We have to be on the same page, and we work very closely together. We spend a lot of time during the game up on the rail while we're watching the game talking about the individual players, talking about their conditioning programs, their exercise programs. So all those things have to come into play and work together. But our main job, from my perspective, is to prevent injuries, to allow them to stay on the field, and then to be able to recognize when they're putting themselves at risk by either being fatigued or in a position where they're just not ready to play a game. So in, from a conditioning standpoint, what do you think per day those athletes spend conditioning? Well, they, they, every, they, it's broken up into two different things. The pitchers are totally different than the position players. Seventy percent of everything that we do from an athletic training and conditioning standpoint is on the pitching staff because the majority of the injuries are to the pitchers. So we spend a lot of time working with the pitchers. And they have, if it's a starting pitcher, they have a very regimented routine. They, every five days they rotate their exercise programs. And some days are specifically related to doing shoulder work and arm care, and then other days are total body and cardiovascular. And the position players work out every day. Uh, the majority of the position players work out, I would say, between two and a half and three hours per day. And that, that doesn't include the game, which is another three hours. So about six hours a day they're either conditioning or playing a game. The pitchers, about probably about two hours. So, Rick, is the rodeo industry, you know, it keeps growing and the athletes become uh, more and more like other sport athletes, I guess. You see a lot of the, you know, the PBR bull riders, their careers are lasting a bit longer. The bulls are getting stronger. They're, they're needing the same type of stuff as well as, you know, PRCA athletes to extend their career, you know, whether it's, you know, steer wrestling, bronc riding, bull riding, whatever it is. I mean, the, the risk of injury is very high. And and you have been involved, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, in, in other situations, but mostly at the Montana Circuit Finals, whereas I have gotten to meet you and, and been involved, you know, with, with your knowledge and, and blessed with, with your volunteer work. How did that all start? How did you get involved with rodeo? How did, did you, you know, how, how did all that, you know, tie into what you have built, the career that you've built with the Mariners? Well, the, the funny thing is, is I did rodeo before baseball. Um, oh. <laughs> I, I had worked, I had worked minor league baseball. I was a high school teacher, and then in the summer I worked with the rookie ball team, and that's like the same team they have. I think they have one in Helena, one in Great Falls. So they're really young kids, and they're very, very basically getting started in their careers. And so I did that just for fun, just to have something to do in the summer because I don't like sitting around doing nothing. Um, and so in 1981, I took a job at the sports medicine clinic with Dr. Keith Peterson, um, who's really big into rodeo and kind of developed the kind of the precursor to the Justin Sports Medicine Program. And he was asked by a gentleman named Bill Holt. Bill Holt is a Hall of Fame announcer. He's done 
a lot of rodeos, obviously, all over the country. But he was doing the circuit finals at the time, and he bought a ranch next to – Dr. Pearson bought a ranch next to Bill Holt. And Bill Holt got to know Keith, and he asked Keith, he said, why don't you guys come over and take care of these cowboys because they're always getting banged up and beat up, and nobody ever takes care of them. Why don't you come and show them some love? And so Dr. Peterson said, all right. So he asked me to go. You know, and I'd never, I'd never gone to a rodeo. I mean, I'd been to rodeos in Utah, but I'd never, you know, worked as a rodeo as an athletic trainer. So we went to the rodeo, the circuit finals. The first time we went was 1981. And when we went, the little training room we had was a broom closet. There was a mop in there. There was no table. There was a sink. And uh, the cowboys were going, what the heck are you guys doing here? We don't need you. Um, and I still remember this guy's name, Dean Fulvert. Uh He was a bareback rider. And he hurt his wrist the first night, and he, he came up to me, and he asked me, he says, my wrist is killing me, and it was all swollen. And so we treated it, and then I taped it the next day, and he won the next day. And then on Sunday, he came back, and I taped it again, and he did well, and he ended up winning the circuit finals that year. And uh, he started telling the other Cowboys, you know, hey, those guys can help you. They actually know what they're doing. So the first year, we didn't do a lot because they didn't know who we were. But then the second year, third year, by then it started to be pretty well established. And that kicked off. For me, some other avenues, um, there was no research or no published data on rodeo sports medicine or rodeo injury. So people that were going and covering these events, they didn't really know what to expect. They were like me. You know, you're going into something totally blind. That's not a real good feeling. You want to have an idea and an understanding of what you're actually doing. And so we actually did some research papers. Uh, we had we had three articles published in the Physician and Sports Medicine uh, on etiology and rodeo sports medicine. And then we also did a study on cervical and neck injuries and elbow injuries. And these things all got published. And so because of that, Dr. Peterson and I kind of became semi-famous in the rodeo world because there was never anything out there. So we started getting phone calls from Calgary Stampede, NFR, and people covering rodeos. And then Dr. Peterson uh, made a sports medicine trailer that was the first of its kind, and then he was using that in the Montana rodeo circuit and over here in Washington, and it was being housed by a certified athletic trainer. So all that kind of led into the current Justin Sports Medicine Program, and Don Andrews used to run the sports medicine program for Justin Healers, and uh, he and Dr. Peterson talked endless numbers of hours so that they they kind of copied what Dr. Peterson did, but then they expanded it nationwide, and that's the, the reason they have that current program. Wow, that quite the history, you know, behind it and and uh, dedication of not getting paid by a lot of guys has benefited a lot of rodeo guys, which is you know super yeah. kind. Is there? I, I got I got paid though. You just don't know how I got paid. I got paid because I got to go hunting on people's ranches. Yeah, <laughs> I made so many great friends over there. Fred Hershey and the Salmons and people right. all over the state. They would they would get hurt and then I'd help them and they'd invite me to go fishing or hunting or on their property and. <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, I got paid. You bet. Well, that's good. And that's kind of how the the rodeo industry works. I mean, if uh, if you need something, everybody bails in to do it, and you worry about how how the repay happens down the road. And it always always seems to to repay itself. That's for sure. So, is there a connection that you see between the injuries in baseball and the injuries in in rodeo that you have seen? Is is there you know, similar treatment? Is there injuries that happen more often? I mean, I, I know from, you know, spear wrestling, a lot of knees, a lot of shoulders, a lot of, you know, do you see a lot of the same injuries? Do you see, is there a different mindset when you get to Great Falls with how you're going to handle things, or, or is it a lot the same? No, it's, they're, they're totally different. They're not even 
I mean, they're not even on the same page or probably even even the same book. Baseball is a sport of overuse and attrition because it's such a grind because they play, they play about 196 games in about 218 days. So they basically have a game every day. So it's wear and tear and overuse. There's very few traumatic injuries. Once in a while, somebody might, uh, outfielders might run into each other or somebody might run into a catcher or a guy might get hit with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball either in the head or the wrist. So those are the traumatic things in baseball. But rodeo is obviously a sport of, of trauma. And so when you go to the rodeo, you have to be prepared. The last rodeo in, in Great Falls, we put two people on spine boards, you know, the first two performances. So I haven't put a baseball player on a spine board for probably six years. So there's a, there's a very high risk of traumatic injury in, in rodeo, and you have to be really on your game. You have to be prepared because a lot a lot of things can happen very quickly, and they can be extremely dangerous and, and put people's lives at risk, um, as evidenced by the fact we just had a bull rider that uh, died in Denver. So it's different. A lot of traumatic stuff. Muscle injuries, soft tissue injuries, you know, rodeo contestants get a lot of groin injuries. They have shoulder injuries, but the majority of them are more traumatic from colliding with the animals or getting bucked off the animals. Once in a while, uh, the steer or the uh, the calf ropers and the team ropers, you know, they'll get shoulder injuries, which are similar to baseball players because their rotator cuffs are injured and damaged. And those are, you know, pretty easy to fix and, and help help those guys with. But it's they're, they're totally, totally different. Well, we know um, the the entire industry and its family is mourning the loss of Mason there in Denver, and, and that's uh, that's a tragic thing. But it's also indicative of some of the severity of the rodeo world and the sport. You know, when you look at, I, I know that his, or I, I've heard that his was a chest injury, but when you look at um, head injuries in the rodeo industry, we see a lot of concussions that I think crosses over to the other sports. Um, but thinking of, of all the injuries, head injuries, soft tissue injuries, are rodeo cowboys um, some of the most uh, maybe hard-headed, I should say, about coming back the next round and, and um, you know, I'm fine attitude? Or do a lot of cowboys step back and say, hey, you know, I, I hurt my head. This is pretty bad. I need to take a break. I, I think that's kind of a two-part answer to that question. When I first started, I was I was shocked that bull riders didn't wear helmets. So this is back in 1981. And I remember one bull rider named Jim Leatherberry, he got his face cut up real bad in his head and he had a concussion. And he went out and he rolled the next day and he had to get a uh, he had to get a waiver so that he didn't have to wear his hat when he rolled. His head was all bandaged up and he rolled without a hat. So his protection in his mind was a hat. And and it's taken a long time to convince these cowboys to wear helmets when they do the bull riding and, and now they wear you know they wear the Kevlar vests and pretty much everybody's wearing those and those are very important things to help prevent traumatic injuries but when when the difference between a baseball player and a football player and a rodeo contestant is somebody in a professional sport because they have a contract they're going to get paid whether they play or not if they get a concussion they usually listen to the physicians and they usually listen extremely well and they don't play and they have to go through certain protocols um the the rodeo contestants particularly the bull riders if they don't ride they don't get paid and so i know there's times when they shouldn't ride and they do ride and they it's because of that particular thing they don't have a guaranteed contract um i was speaking with mike rich who's the director of the Justin Sports Medicine Program, about their concussion protocol. And we were having a beer one night after the rodeo, and we talked about it for 30 minutes, how they don't have a true 
protocol right now. It's something that they may be working on and trying to come to grips with uh, because it would be nice if they could do that and, and force a little bit more uh, prevention on the Cowboys by saying, you know what, we have a new protocol now and you do have a concussion and there are certain things you're going to have to do. And, and that would stop them from maybe riding and putting themselves at risk because the worst thing that can happen when you get a concussion is to have another one fairly close to the first one because it really magnifies the damage done to the brain. Research has pointed that out. So to protect those guys, it might be necessary for, you know, the PCR to step up their concussion protocol a little better. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I know, that, uh, speaking of that, there were two instances at, at the circuit finals, uh, the first night and the second night, where, you know, concussion came into play. And, and uh, you know, you guys did the tests on those athletes, you know, the next day or whatever. So was it a, a convincing um, argument, prize in a fair word, um, from you guys to, to keep those guys from competing the next day? Or how do you guys handle that where you said there's not a – complete protocol of saying, nope, you know, you guys, your eyes are still dilated, you're this or you're that, you guys right. are not able to compete today. In that situation, is it just kind of smart sense on their part, or how, how do you handle that, or how did well, you handle that? It's, well, I know I know the two instances you're talking about, and one of them, uh, we'll oh, just say the event, the bow rider, um, the bow rider had the worst concussion. He had a pretty significant concussion, and the next day, he came down for early treatments, and he was still have, had a lot of symptoms. And there's certain things we do. That one of the things we do is called a SCAT 5, and it's a series of cognitive and subjective tests um, that gives a guy an, a really good idea how concussed they actually are. And that's when you put them in the concussion protocol. Well, he had some pretty significant findings, uh, and we advised him that morning to not ride. Well, he came to the arena about five hours later, and he was – you know, thinking he was going to go and ride because he looked that he had a really easy bull in his words to ride. And he thought he could take first if he rode the bull. And so then you got to pull him in a room and you got to talk to him and you got to try to educate him and explain, you know, not only the research, but also give him the best advice. And that's easier for me because when I have my baseball players, I'm with them for the whole year or several years and they know me and they trust me. And they, and if I tell them something, they believe me. Well, if you go to like I did to this rodeo and I'd never met this, this young man, you know, he's looking, who's this guy telling me I can't ride and I have a chance to make some pretty good money? So that's that's the difficulty is, is earning their trust in a shorter period of time, uh, and that's important, and it, it, it passes on. And we, we I actually utilized – I knew a couple of those bull riders uh, that were there and I actually went to them, and I said, look, that guy doesn't know me. Would you please, you know, tell him that I'm, I have his best interest at heart? And they actually went and talked to him, and then he decided not to ride. The other gentleman uh, was a steer wrestler. And uh, um, that was a little bit different story. He, he was examined and checked out, uh, missed the one day, but then he came back on the second day. So I think that that was a little bit, a little bit less of a concussion. The symptoms weren't as bad. Plus, the, you have to look a little bit at the event, also. You know what, what's more ri- at risk? Right, right. Well, um, first of all, Rick, I want to say thank you for the many, many years that you have dedicated to the rodeo industry and sharing your history with us um, and educating people. But the second thing I would like to do before we close is if you could give rodeo athletes one piece of advice um, to their conditioning program, whether they don't condition now, whether they do condition now, how do you prolong your career as a rodeo athlete? What's the one piece that you would tell them from a physical standpoint? You have to, you have to condition year-round. Um, you, you can't. 
it doesn't matter what sport it is. Like, like I know the circuit finals is in January. Some of these guys, they may not start even working out until December. You know, December 1st, they go, oh, I got five weeks now, I'm going to get in shape. And they start working out, and then they may go practice some steers or practice a few bowls. I know you can't practice that component, but you can be in better shape and you can be in better condition. Um, when we first started way back in 1981, we broke down each one of the events and we made, we actually made conditioning booklets for each one of the events because they're all different. We, we went through and figured out which muscles are the best utilized in this sport. So we tried to build programs for them. So following programs that are specifically based to your own event to help you, you know, whether it's flexibility or strength, those are things that you need to do. And you just, you just can't start doing it two or three weeks, weeks in advance. It needs to be, you know, more year round, more obvious. And of course, the better shape you're going to stay, the less likely you're going to be be injured um, so that's my advice is try to stay in better shape year-round rather than try to slam and everything in a four or five week period that's great advice now those booklets or those protocols that you were talking about i assume they're still available somewhere oh i have no idea because we made them from like 81 to 90 and uh we, since then so many of the guys i mean back to, if you think when i started what i just described to you was even worse they would start working out two weeks before so now they started working out in like maybe six or seven weeks. But now, now most of the, the majority of the guys now work out and they are in, in much better, better shape and they use personal trainers and they go to a gym. And so it's not the same problem that it was when we started. So. Well, that's uh, good news. Those books are somewhere. They're in some archive, but I, I don't know where. <laughs> Back in the archives. Well, Rick, thank you very much. We, we uh, so value your insight and we value the time that you give to athletes to keep. Um, everyone's safe and on the right road, um, and we uh, we look forward to working with you long into the future. Like I said, thanks for giving us your time, and of course, travel safe. All right, you're very welcome, and uh, happy to do it. Thanks, Rick. Take care. All right, all right, you guys. Bye bye. Today's episode of Rodeo Boulevard. We appreciate Rick taking the time to sit down and visit with us about sports medicine and the importance in the rodeo industry. We have a big episode coming up next week, uh, pre-Super Bowl for you guys, so make sure you stay tuned and, and look forward to that one. Subscribe now. You won't want to miss the uh, Super Bowl Sunday feature. Talk to you soon.